Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spoda Kindle, VP of Product Development with ACFCS, and it's a pleasure having you join us for this latest episode focusing on the intersection of financial crime and ESG. There are quite a few three-letter words in the financial crime space. You have AML, KYC, CTF, and let me throw another one at you, ESG. Um, But when it comes to effective financial crime compliance programs, environmental, social, and governance criteria, or ESG, are not just another in the seemingly endless number of acronyms we all have to deal with. Uh, The connections might not seem immediately obvious, but institutions in the US and worldwide are taking a hard look at how financial crime compliance programs connect to and support the wider goals around ESG. And that's what we're going to dive into uh, in part and much more on this session. So very pleased to be joined by two experts with Thomson Reuters that will cover reports, regulatory perspectives on ESG, uh, how they converge with AML, especially in the realms of environmental crime, human trafficking, and corruption, um, and what all this might mean for your compliance program. Um, So thanks again for being here. Our guide today, and really the leader of this conversation, is going to be Gina Jerva. She's an attorney and manager of enterprise content strategy, corporates, and government's thought leadership with the Thomson Reuters Institute. Many of our avid listeners may recognize her from previous ACFCS webinars, podcasts, and other content. Uh, She has extensive experience working with institutions around the world on current and emerging challenges in financial crime and uh, is a excellent uh, moderator and guide on any number of FinCrime topics. So always a pleasure having her here. She's joined by Henry Engler, the North American Regulatory Intelligence Editor with Thomson Reuters. He is a font of compliance and regulatory knowledge himself. I'm going to let Gina tell you a little bit more about Henry uh, and jump into our conversation. So Gina, thanks again for being here and please take Take it away. Well, thank you, Brian. It is always a pleasure to be here with you and uh, chat financial crimes. Um, And I am very excited to talk about, as you said, yet another uh, acronym, uh, ESG. And we're going to be talking about this today um, from the lens of, of course, what can financial institutions do in this space? What what should they be paying attention to? Um, And really from a compliance perspective. Earlier uh, in 2021, uh, Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence, uh, in conjunction with TRI, put out a report called ESG, Fast Emerging Challenges for Financial Institutions, that focused on the regulatory aspect. I highly recommend you take a look at it. It's an amazing report. Um, We are going to be updating it in 2022. Um, And I am pleased to be joined by the lead author of the report, Henry Engler, um, who's based in New York, um, again, at Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Henry, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Gina. So ESG, or again, environmental, social, and governance issues, have become a strategic priority for many corporate executives and boards. I think almost every industry is being impacted by these collective efforts of governments to tackle climate change, and financial authorities around the world are indicating that issues such as human rights, social justice, and human diversity need to be managed alongside organizations' more traditional values. So let's dive right into it. The report, 
tell me a little bit more about why, why did you compile this report? Like really what was the impetus for it? Well, I think Gina, as you, as you just mentioned, these issues have been growing over recent years, um, you know, globally, not just here in the United States. And the fact that um, we now have governments and regulators playing a much more active role in terms of climate risk, social diversity issues, um, all of that has, has, you know, lent itself to an environment where um, you can no longer ignore these issues. Um, from a management or board level perspective. And, you know, certainly if you look around the world, um, governments, I would say, are at different speeds on, you know, addressing these issues, um, whether it's in terms of what they're doing themselves to, say, reduce carbon emissions or whether they're, you know, forcing companies to disclose more about what they're actually doing on carbon uh, emissions and social issues. So it's, it's really it kind of, you know, internally we had these discussions earlier in the year and it kind of came to the fore and we said, okay, we really need to take a closer look at what are the implications of these issues on financial institutions, because financial institutions, of course, are at the, at the center of you know all of these economies and play a very important part in either facilitating you know climate change um, or contributing to you know some of the problems um, as as certain you know people are happy to point out lending to oil and gas companies for example so that that was really the primary motivation behind it. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's really a global report in the sense that you were able to pull in regulatory experts from across the globe from your team, which I, I think is fascinating and provide the different perspectives. And you also did this, um, the report came out right after uh, the COP26 UN Climate Summit. So there was so much to talk about there too. Um, and, and as you said, it's, it's become an issue that is uh, of, of great interest around the world, definitely in the financial sector and every other sector really uh, in, in, in the business environment. Um, when we think about the G20 countries, how are they, based on your research, um, how are they handling new and emerging policy regulations? Yes, um, they're, they're, as I said, they're at different speeds. Um, I would say in Europe and the UK, um, regulators in those countries are well ahead of any other part of the world. Um, they have been um, more proactive more engaged with the financial institutions that they oversee, certainly on issues of cl regarding climate change and climate risk, um, also on social policies as well. Um, the countries in Asia, I would say it's, it's sort of a mixed picture. Some countries such as Singapore are more advanced than others. Um, and then here in the United States, um, we've been lagging. We've certainly been lagging our European peers. Uh, U.S. regulators have admitted as much uh, over the course of this year. And uh, really, they, they've been 
they've been playing catch up. And I think what's been critical in their catch up exercises is the role that the Biden administration has played because the Biden administration, of course, has put um, climate at near the top of its agenda among many other issues, uh, certainly on social issues as well. Uh, it's been very um, vocal about companies doing more uh, to address inequality and, and, and diversity. And so since you have the political momentum in place, um, that has given it regulators a green light to basically say, go ahead. All right, now let's develop new rules and regulations around these issues that um, not only financial companies, but, but, but non-financial companies as well can then you know, follow and then and, and comply with um, going forward. So it's, it's you know, we're, we're behind, but I think we're catching up quickly here in the U.S. Yeah, and it is somewhat of what you said here. It's, it's depending also on administration priorities. And so you know, we have Biden, Biden's in office and has stated that those are the priorities could always change in, in 2024. And so I think there's, there's a lot of catch up that the U.S. has to do, um, but hopefully that continues that momentum to, and, and it won't matter so much which administration's in office, but um, I'm not sure if that, that it will be the case. Um, is it one question for you here on, on EMEA, though, on, on Europe and, and the UK? Is it surprising to you that they're more advanced in, in their uh, regulations and, um, and their focus on ESG principles? I mean, what, what, why would you say that is if, if you could answer that question? I, I, think, I think the answer to that lies in the fact that many of European countries. Um, are to use the popular term more progressive on these kinds of issues. They, they've, they've taken climate change, I think, much more seriously. Um, I mean, if you look at Europe, it's a much more densely populated region. And uh, you know, the issues of, of, of carbon emissions is something that um, affects all of them very, very closely. And, and, and I think I think they've been. The whole notion of trying to move from a fossil fuel economy to a renewable energy economy is something that that the Europeans have been, you know, at work for a while, and 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 you know, they're just the democratically elected governments have have put these issues always on the ballot. If you look at some of the countries, such as Germany, they've had a Green Party for generations now. Um, and so it, it's, it's something that I think has resonated with European citizens for a long time. And therefore, it's, it's filtered, filtered into the, you know, electoral process and, and government policy. Um, and the same, I would say, you know, when it comes to social issues as well. Um, you know, they, they have been more progressive and advanced on these issues. And therefore, from a regulatory perspective, they've been quicker off the mark in terms of you know, creating new rules and requirements for companies um, in the financial sector, certainly, but other sectors as well. Well, let's talk about the connection between ESG and financial institutions and anti-money laundering. Um, I know that'll be a, that's a great interest to our audiences here on, on the podcast. Um, 
how how do financial crimes fit into this conversation? Well, I I think it it fits in via certain kinds of illicit activities that impact the environment. And this is something that um, certain uh, regulatory bodies, um, such as the Financial Action uh, Task Force, um, has highlighted. They did a report earlier this year about environmental crime and, and the money that's flowing from those activities into the coffers of banks and being laundered through the financial system. Um, the more recently here at home, uh, the Financial uh, Crime Enforcement Network of the of the Treasury uh, published a uh, an, an alert, a report um, citing the need for banks here in the United States uh, to take stronger action about this type of these types of activities, um, and they're urging banks. Um, here in the U.S. to look at environmental crime um, as something that they need to file suspicious activity reports on. Um, I think there's a recognition, um, if you read the report, uh, that uh, not enough attention has been paid to this. And just, you know, just to highlight a little bit um, from from the report, um, the types of crimes that they're talking about include uh, illegal logging, illegal fishing, uh, wildlife trafficking, illegal mining, uh, the dumping of waste and other hazardous materials. And they go on to say that these crimes are relatively low risk activities with high rewards because enforcement efforts are limited. And the demand for the products and services generated by these crimes are high. And so it is, it, and, and just to put some numbers on this, I think that they list environmental crime now as the third largest illicit activity in the world, followed by drug trafficking and counterfeit goods. Um, so uh, we're not talking you know, a small amount of change. This is this is this has become an issue that is generating a lot of legal um, activity, and the funds that flow from that from those activities through the banking system has become quite quite large. And the fact and the FinCEN report then goes on to give you sort of a give banks sort of a roadmap or a how to on how to look for these kinds of activities and how to file a, a SAR uh, once you identify these kinds of activities in your organization. So it's really, um, it, it's very interesting that it's coming now on the radar of, uh, of you know, U.S. financial authorities as well. And it's, you know, it is something that is a global problem for sure, but it's happening here in the United States as well. And so um, I, I would I would recommend that um, anyone listening to this podcast may want to go list, look at the FinCEN um, alert as well um, to talk about ways that you can mitigate some of this. So if you are banking the logging industry, what is it you should be looking for? Um, or the mining industry or anything in, in relation to that. Um, and the report itself, though, it, 
and this is both the FATF report and the FinCEN report, it talks about how not only are we talking about these low-risk crimes, illegal logging, mining, waste trafficking, but it's fueling other things, right? And, and it's fueling things like it's helping to pay for or facilitate corruption, um, tax fraud, drug trafficking, forced labor. Is that what you're seeing, Henry, as well, when you're, when you're reading through some of this and, and researching um, environmental crimes? Yes. Yes, no, exactly. And, and the FinCEN report alludes to that as well, that often what, what these criminals will do is they will set up, you know, various kinds of companies that purport to do one thing, but in fact are doing something else. And that something else is this environmental crime that they're highlighting. And therefore the proceeds from that are then used to do all sorts of things, right? And then once they wash through the financial system, um, and become a legitimate source of funds, then they can engage in these other kinds of illicit activities as well. So, yes, it's it's it's. Um, I wouldn't say that this is a, this is something new, but I think what's new is the attention now that is being focused by the authorities on this. And I think there's also, I mean, reading through the lines of the FinCEN um, alert, I think there's there's a recognition that that banks aren't really paying close enough attention to this and that they should, you know, beef up their surveillance of their clients and, and the transactions, you know, from companies that could be engaged in the, in this type of environmental crime. Well, let's talk about how that could be done. Um, and I think one way is having buy-in at the top. And what I mean by that is let's talk about the G and ESG. So governance, it often gets overlooked. Um, how important is governance in this space in, in, in making sure that your board, your president, your CEO, leaders at the top are paying attention and putting a focus on stopping some of these environmental crimes or even the social aspect and paying attention to diversity um, and, and human rights issues. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, um, certainly in, in, in our report, we devoted a lot of, attention and space to the governance part of ESG, because as you say, you know, it's often overlooked. Um, the climate, you know, the environmental part gets a, a lot of attention, I'd say followed by the social issues and concerns, but G is almost the forgotten stepchild. It's like, well, well what do we do about governance, you know? And, and, and the fact is that any institution um, will not do a good job on the E or the S if they don't have a strong G in place. And what does that mean? Um, I can point you to um, guidance that the uh, Comptroller of the Currency just issued last week. Um, they're the first financial regulator here in the United States to set out sort of broad principles on um, ESG, but in particular on climate risk and what they expect financial institutions to do to manage climate risk. And the, one of the, the first items that they address is governance. And the points that they make in their principles on governance is that you need to have from the top to the bottom climate risk to become something that's fully integrated into the organization at all different levels, whether it's risk management, compliance, what have you. 
and that you need also, and this is really the important part, I think, you need accountability. So people have to be tasked with, you know, these efforts and challenges, and, and it has to become part of, they didn't say this, but you were already seeing this, part of their, you know, remuneration and review at the end of the year. Um, and, and, and so governance, without proper governance and oversight, and, and we're talking from the board level on down, um, companies are, are not going to really be effective uh, in managing the E and the S and, and delivering on what now regulators increasingly will require them to do. Yeah, and that's, and we see that in, in other sectors, um, in areas I follow in some of the research we do, when we're talking about governance and, and corporations and companies really putting teeth into these measures and having the accountability they're looking for guidance and in the law firm space, in law firms are, are, uh, are advising corporate legal departments. They're now dedicating some law firms entire practices to ESG principles. So we're seeing this, this is really expanding rapidly um, and will continue to do so. And I think one thing I'd like to, to ask you as, a, as my final question, um, what, what can financial firm leaders do to better prepare for regulatory changes and, and challenges in 2022? What guidance and can you offer or provide uh, to them? Sure. Um, here again, I, I would you know direct everyone's attention to a speech that uh, the acting controller of the currency, Michael Sue, gave a few weeks ago, and he posed five questions that every board in senior management um, should be asking themselves right now in terms of um, in particular climate change, but I think the same question applies to social issues as well. Um, and that is, you know, what is your overall exposure, right? Um, how vulnerable, you know, are you to these kinds of issues and risks? Um, how do you, but also how do you position yourself to benefit from some of the, you know, opportunities that climate risk, climate change, and also the social issues, I think, present themselves. In other words, you know, we often think about um, these issues and, and how do we guard against it, you know, ourselves and, and how do we prepare from, you know, the ravagings and effects of climate change, and not on not only on our own institutions, but on our clients and their exposure to say companies that are severely impacted by bad weather. Um, but there are as as the economy transforms itself or transitions itself towards you know away from fossil fuels, for example, and towards a greener economy, there are opportunities um, to help our clients, to help our customers manage that transition. And so, you know, this is something, these are the kinds of questions that I think that most boards should be asking of themselves and their management. And, you know, the issue of accountability, I think is one that is, is going to come into sharper focus because, you know, a lot of companies are talking a good game on ESG, 
Um, they're highlighting a lot of the things that they're doing, whether it's the amount of money that they invest in, you know, uh, low-income communities or the programs that they've developed or, or you know, how much they're spending on, on, on climate risk and, and what they're trying to do to mitigate that. But what we will see increasingly as the regulators now come out with new rules and regulations is that they, companies and financial institutions in particular will be tested in terms of, okay, this is what you say you're doing. Now show us, show us the data, show us how you, how we can understand that what you say you're doing, you're actually doing. And so, you know, the, you've heard the term greenwashing, for example, um, that's going to come, you know, in, in much sharper focus, I think over the next year or two, as these regulations come out and they will be holding, you know, these, these, companies more and more accountable. Absolutely. It's the, uh, you know, don't just tell us, show us. And, you know, it's more than just a press release. And so I, it'll be really interesting to see over the next year to two years, how that plays out um, in this, in this space. And I think the last thing you said, or one of the things you said a moment ago about this is an opportunity where financial institutions can actually work with customers, where we continue to see growth in these spaces, where you know corporate environments can think about how they're going to move to perhaps green energy, whatever it is. There's opportunity here as well. So it's not just about you know a pejorative or you know a, you know slapping a fine on somebody. This is about some more than that, and um, it'll be really interesting to see as we go forward. Um, but we will be doing more on this. So in 2022, definitely look out for um, the next, this will be our second iteration of ESG, Fast Emerging Challenges for Financial Institutions. We'll be doing this report again. Henry, I assume you will also be our lead author again. So be very exciting to see what comes out. And um, that'll be later in 2022. So thank you so much for joining me, chatting through this. Um, and I look forward to more conversations to come. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Brian. Hey, Henry, Gina, thank you so much for being here on the Financial Crime Cast. It's a fascinating conversation, rapidly developing space. And I think, you know, just speaking from my personal perspective, very encouraging for financial crime professionals, particularly those that maybe uh, felt left out in the cold. I think the effort to tie uh, financial crime into ESG goals is really incorporating compliance into the wider, you know, social, environmental uh, governance responsibility that institutions and corporations have, um, and that's a that's an encouraging thing. That you know, from a practical perspective, might mean more resources, more attention paid to fin crime compliance. Um, but also from a you know philosophical perspective, it's it's good to see financial crime being treated as a societal benefit because uh, financial crime prevention, I should say, is treated as a societal benefit because it truly is. So, so thank you so much for uh, this. As as you said, uh, this start of the conversation around this topic. Much more to come in the new year and beyond, and uh, hopefully we can have you back for the next iteration of the report. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, ACFCS and everyone for listening. And please, everyone, all the listeners out there, um, join us for the next episode of the Financial Crimecast. If you aren't already listening on one of your favorite podcasting platforms, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and several others. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of the day, rest of the week, and look forward to catching you on the next Financial Crimecast. Goodbye for now. 